Hello everyone and welcome to episode 465 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and if you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We'll talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. Thank you so much for your feedback on my first solo episode last week. I really appreciate it. It was really encouraging. So thank you. This week, it was great to see so many of you on the free creative coaching session that we held as a Zoom event at the Australian Writers' Centre called, can you believe it? (laughs) So you want to be a creative writer. I know there's a theme, right? Over 700 of you joined us and we had the wonderful author, Kelly McCourt, who you heard from our recent episode in episode 463 of this podcast. Her latest book is Murder Most Fancy. Now, when she did that episode with us, I just knew that we had to have more of Kelly. So that's why uh, I thought she would be great to be a panelist on our creative coaching event. Now, Kelly was with Pamela Freeman, who is author of over 43 books and our director of creative writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. You guys asked such great questions, and I loved the fact that we could give you access to these great authors to share their experiences and advice and pearls of wisdom. Now, if you're wondering, how did I not know about this free Zoom event? Well, make sure that you're in the podcast listener community on Facebook or signed up to the Australian Writer Centre newsletter. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Or if you want to sign up directly to the Australian Writer Centre newsletter, go to writerscentre.com.au slash news and then you'll ensure that you find out about these fab free events because that's typically where we will announce them. That's writercenter.com.au slash news. One of the discussions that has been going on in the podcast Facebook group uh, focuses on the app that we mentioned last week, Focusmate. Now, a few of you Um, listened to the episode and decided to try Focusmate out for yourself. So thank you so much for sharing your experience. Really interesting. Nigel tried it out and he ended up uh, matching with a woman in Canberra who was applying for jobs. So they got up at 7am and introduced ourselves through Focusmate and then, you know, discussed discussed what they wanted to work on. And after 50 minutes, and you can do it for different timeframes, you can do it for 25 minutes, um, they got their stuff done. Nigel wanted to um, use that time for writing and um, yeah so thank you so much Nigel for sharing that experience. Sue also signed up after listening to last week's episode and she had a 25 minute session with a woman in Australia even though Sue's in Japan. Sue wanted to write 300 words in her session and she managed to write 350, so I guess it was effective. So thank you guys for sharing in the Facebook group what your experience was with um, Focusmate. If you're not sure what we're talking about, have a listen to last week's episode, but basically we talked about Focusmate and how it's a um, service where you can be matched with somebody else who wants to 
skyrocket their productivity and really focus on a particular particular task for a certain time period. You could be matched with somebody around the other side of the world, but the whole point is to have an accountability buddy for that exact period of time that you book into so that you both focus on your particular task. Now, this week, there was a discussion on Twitter um, under the hashtag, hashtag uh, writer's life about rewriting your manuscript from scratch. I'm not talking about a scene here or there or adding a chapter, but I'm talking about taking your whole manuscript, whether that's the first draft or the second draft or maybe even a later draft, and trashing it, as in starting again. Oh, that's got to hurt. And look, there were a lot of writers who joined in the conversation who said that that's exactly what they had to do. Even though they'd written a whole draft, and I'm talking more than 50,000 words here, they knew they couldn't just move bits around. They had to completely start over. I think this is something a lot of writers don't realize who you know haven't gone through the process yet, that your first draft is a first draft. You know, we've even had writers on this podcast who refer to it as their zero draft. Um, if you've written a first draft, first, you should be immensely proud of yourself. But sometimes just keep an open mind that sometimes you may need to trash it and start again, depending on, you know, what's happened in the draft and whether it's hanging together well and whether it's working or not, whether it's gelling. Now, of course, it's not always that drastic. What usually happens is that it's a process. You revise, 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 and the manuscript changes in lots and lots of ways every time. You may rewrite characters, or you may change the plot or the point of view in certain scenes. So even if you don't actually rewrite it from scratch, you might find that your final manuscript looks nothing like your first draft. But sometimes, and I've spoken to authors who've done this, it is easier just to start the whole thing over. Author David Ciccarelli said that he found that trying to shoehorn fixes into an existing draft caused more problems than starting from scratch. So, you know, sometimes it's easier to start from scratch, right? I think what's important to remember is that the first draft is not a waste. So don't think, oh my God, I've wasted all that time. It's really terrible. Really, If you've done that, if you've written your first draft, that's really helped you get to know your characters and your story so that when you come to write it again, hopefully it'll actually flow more easily. So it's not going to be as hard or um, wading through mud in the same way as maybe your first draft. Young adult author uh, Sarah Aronson put it this way in her tweet. She said, I call the first draft a discovery draft. I like that term. It's all about getting to know your story. When I delete it, I feel free to reimagine the story with what I've learned. Now, if you decide to rewrite your first manuscript, remember you're not starting from scratch. You can take the time to list out your scenes, nail your plot and flesh out your characters before you start again. We actually cover this in our power editing process, which is a 28-step process. That's part of our Cut, Shape, Polish course at the Australian Writers' Centre. And basically, this is a step-by-step process that helps you 
analyze your manuscript and helps you self-edit your manuscript, particularly if you don't necessarily have the funds to pay for an editor or something like that. And really, this is a skill. This process is something that you should learn because you can apply it to any manuscript in the future. So I love this course because it is so comprehensive and so robust. So for example, in your first draft, your characters might just be rough sketches. And when it's time to rewrite your next draft, one of the steps, step seven in the power editing process will really help you get into figuring out whether your characters have enough depth, whether you can um, understand what they really want or what they're really hiding or what they really fear or are obsessed with. And if you don't have the answers to the questions that we have in there, you know, oh, why not? Maybe you need to know those answers in order for these characters to be fully fleshed out. In another step, we help you figure out whether your characters are doing their jobs. Yes, characters have jobs. I don't mean the jobs as in their professions in the story, but they have functions in your story. And so we help you work out what that function is and whether they are actually fulfilling that function, you know, because their job in many cases are to keep the story moving. They, they can have other functions as well, but this process helps you identify exactly what your character needs to be doing. And then you can determine, are they pulling their weight or, you know, are they just sitting around the background, not really doing anything and not really adding value? So, it gives you a structure on how to determine those things. If you want to find out more about the Cut, Shape, Polish course, go to writercenter.com.au slash polish. Now, I just want to give a big shout out to some members of the podcast listener community. I was reading the papers on the weekend and I did a little happy dance a couple of times. On Sunday, I opened... I think it was the Sunday Telegraph, to find an extract of Shankari Chandran's book, her new book, Chai Time at Cinnamon Gardens, featured on a huge full page of the paper. I mean, full page, what incredible publicity. Chai Time at Cinnamon Gardens was our giveaway last episode. Um, and we also heard from Shankari in episode 200 when she released her debut novel, The Barrier after completing courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. And now Chai Time at Cinnamon Gardens is her latest book. But also when I opened the Sydney Morning Herald, I saw a wonderful review of Fancy Meeting You Here by Ali Berg, who also has done courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and who we interviewed in episode 241, and Michelle Kalis. This dynamic duo co-write books together, and this is their third. And I always find it fascinating to hear how co-writers divvy up their process. So this is what Michelle said when I asked her about their dual writing process. So a big part of our writing process um, all comes down to our plot map and that's where we break things down chapter by chapter um, in, you know, including all of the big things that we know should be coming up in, in that chapter. And that allows us then to divvy up chapter by chapter um, and it's sort of our, our go-to Bible because it's not unusual that one of us will be writing a chapter that comes after another chapter that doesn't yet exist. Um, so that that's a big part of making sure the plot is um, synced and, and working well and developing well. Um, and then the amazing thing about having a co-writer is you sort of have an inbuilt editor because we get to go back read the book for the first time, read those chapters that we haven't written. And we do a lot of editing, putting ourselves into um, each of the chapters. 
And over time, we sort of developed this new voice that's a little bit of myself, a little bit of you, Ali. Um, and now I know for myself, I go back and apart from really key parts of the book that I remember reading, uh, writing, sorry, I can't work out was it, whether it was you or myself who, who wrote it. Fancy Meeting You Here is a romantic comedy and I love rom-coms both in book form and in the movies. So I asked Ali why rom-coms or chick sometimes get a bad rap, even though they're great books or movies. We're obviously huge, unapologetically romantic comedy fans. Um, I think that at the moment, in today's day and age, we really desperately need uplit or rom-coms. They're like the light that we need in this sometimes very dark time. Um, They're hopeful, they're happy, and I think at their core they're about human connection, I guess. Um, You're often really invested in the characters um, and you really enjoy going on their journeys, um, unlike some other genres. which can be sometimes more depressing. Um, I think that um, rom-coms or chiclets um, sometimes get a bad rap because they're usually written by women. When a man writes uh, women's fiction, as people call it, it's just called fiction. Um, And I think that people brush romantic comedies off as badly written, but um, I think something that we've been discussing a lot is that light and breezy does not equal badly written at all. Um, there's authors like Marianne Keyes, Beth O'Leary, Mary McFarlane, um, Helen Fielding, who wrote Bridget Jones, which our book is loosely based on, all that um, gives a lot of tribute to. Um, and they're all, all of their writing is impeccable. It's it's easy to read and it's it's so funny and it's just some of the best writing that, that I've read. Um, something that I will say is that uh, we for re- uh, writing Fancy Meeting You here, we rewatched a lot of our old favourite rom-coms from the renaissance of the rom-com era, the 90s, um, and it made us realise how, I guess, problematic some of them were in the way that they portrayed women. Um, usually the rom-com is written by men, I should say. Um, so we really wanted to flip that narrative um, with this book, with Fancy Meeting You Here, while still being romantic, um, we wanted to demonstrate that romance and feminism are not mutually exclusive. And that's a really big theme in Fancy Meeting You Here, our new book. If you're intrigued by Fancy Meeting You Here, you're in luck because it's our giveaway this week. <clears throat> to give you an idea of what it's about, Evie Berry is a 30-year-old wannabe screenwriter who spends her days managing a London cinema bar and making the podcast Pasta La Vista with her best friend, Ben. She's also obsessed with Hugo Hurst, one of the most influential and swoon-worthy best-selling writers of his generation. When Evie's not hooking up with her on-again, off-again booty call, Ever Ready Freddy, she fantasises about what might have been if she'd met Hugo years ago when he was just a struggling writer. After Evie interviews a psychic to the stars on her podcast, her life is catapulted 10 years into the past, but the grass isn't quite as green as she remembers. If you'd like your chance to one to win one of three copies of Fancy Meeting You Here by Ali Burke and Michelle Kalis, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 24th of January. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. And if you are going to that URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic giveaway there for you to enter. Okay, team. 
Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope I'm hearing a collective, yes, we want the word of the week. Anyway, this week's word of the week is consinity. Consinity, C-O-N-C-I-N-N-I-T-Y. Consinity. Do you know what that is? Well, in rhetoric, it is a close harmony of tone as well as logic among the elements of a discourse. So its other meaning is any harmonious adaptation of parts. Like when you look at an outfit or a building or a story and it looks or feels elegant or graceful or well put together, that's consinity. There you go. Use that in a sentence this week, consinity. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. This week, I'm bringing you something a little bit different again in terms of our writer-in-residence. Now, we've all heard about celebrities who then turn their hand to writing novels, and I guess this falls under that category. Ollie Ollerton has written a thriller about an ex-Special Forces soldier who is on a quest to catch his brother's killer. Now, in case you were living under a rock last year, one of the hit television shows in Australia was SAS Australia. It's the Australian version of a hit UK show called SAS Who Dares Wins and the Australian version raided through the roof here. It's a reality show where high profile Australians like, you know, in the past it's featured people like um, comedian Merrick Watts, Olympian Jana Pittman, gold medalist Kerry Armstrong, tennis great Mark Philippoussis and many others in a series of, they basically go through lots of, you know, physically gruelling and mentally gruelling tests to see whether they have what it takes to think and act like a special forces soldier, you know, someone who's in the SAS. It also made celebrities out of the former special forces soldiers who were starring on the show because their job was to put the participants through their paces. One of those stars is Ollie Ollerton, who, since he gained fame in the UK with the UK show, has already written a couple of self-help or leadership type books, but has since turned his hand to fiction writing. All or Nothing is his second novel. Now, Ollie is, I found Ollie really down to earth, and he's frank about the fact that he gets help from an editor when writing his books, but there's no doubt that many of his stories and scenes come from his own life and experiences because the parallels are just so close. I hope you enjoy my chat with Ollie Ollerton. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ollie. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Congratulations on your latest novel, All or Nothing. Now, there's so many questions I have for you, Uh, but let's start with, in case there are some listeners who haven't got a copy yet, Tell us what All or Nothing is about. Well, All or Nothing is actually the sequel to um, Scar Tissue. And 
it was my first step into fiction. Um, I've done a couple of uh, self-development books, which I'm really passionate about. Um, and this was my first step into fiction. Um, so scar tissue really starts to take my career. I'm a former UK Special Forces soldier. Um, came from the shadows to the spotlight um, on a very popular TV show in the UK called SAS Who Dares Wins, which is now extremely popular, or a version of it, better version of it, uh, in Australia, uh, called SAS Australia. Um, so really, it takes... It sort of follows me from my life. When I say it follows me, there is an undertone of truth. Although it's a fiction book, it follows my career after leaving the Special Forces and going over to Iraq as, uh, for want of a better term, a mercenary. Um, and, um, and then that was the first book, Scar Tissue. And then it's led on to the second book, which is All or Nothing, the sequel to Scar Tissue. So basically, um, it's following or it's centered around a guy called Alex Abbott. He's the main sort of star. And there's a lot of home truths about his character and, and who he is as a person. He struggles massively with alcohol dependency, I'd call it, as opposed to being an alcoholic. Um, and although he has a very, you know, this very um, uh, uh, sort of chaotic outside, outer life, because uh, he works in war zones, the real war is happening within Alex. You know, so mm. that the outside world is nothing compared to what's going on on the inside. And that's his battling with his emotions, his battling with his drink. Um, so first of all, um, scar tissue was the fact that he went over to Iraq to rescue his son. Uh, unfortunately, his son died in Iraq. Um, and then this follows on. Um, and it goes back to his childhood when um, he thought his brother um, was killed and he later finds out that wasn't the case um, and there's I don't want to say too much because no, give the, no the spoilers um, <laughs> so basically he's on a he's, he's a he finds out some information which basically um, dictates the story he was told initially was was a bit of a lie um, so then he's on a path of revenge and as it says on the, on the front of the book um, revenge is a game you can't afford to lose you know, which is which is is really, uh, you know, I, I feel is close to my heart, uh, and also the fact it's called All or Nothing because, you know, and that that title came from a bit of a conversation really about my life. You know, my life was all about all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You know, there is no middle ground. Um, so basically, Alex Abbott then is on a, um, you know, it comes back to the UK and he's basically infiltrates a gang. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's sort of, they're involved in child trafficking. There's a, you know, an element of child trafficking, which again, follows my life after I left the special forces. I then went into Southeast Asia. I was actually living in Australia, uh, at the time. And I went over to, um, to Southeast Asia to rescue kids from child prostitution and slavery. So really it starts to, you know, it, it really starts to highlight the problem for me about child trafficking. Um, so he, he manages to infiltrate a gang and um, and the rest is sort of uh, twists and turns and and everything else. But it's it's nonstop. And I'm really proud of, of the second, the sequel. It's yeah. um, one of three. Uh, so we've got another one underway. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'm really proud of this one. It's um, it's a proper nail biter. 
It is. Um, you said it's nonstop and it is nonstop. It is a page turner. It is edge of your seat. So um, it's it's a great read and there's so much I want to unpack about the story, about your background, about writing. But let's, this is a writing podcast, so let's talk about you. your first two books, as you mentioned, were more like self-development. They weren't fiction. And then there was scar tissue and then there's there's this. So when you, what made you first want to write books? Because I imagine, because you, with your background, when you first went into the military and the special forces, the first thing on your mind wasn't, oh, I might write a book one day. So what made you want to start writing books in the first place? You know what? The more I told stories, Valerie, about my life, everyone used to say it sounds more like a book than it does actual, <laughs> it does the truth. <laughs> So, uh, you know, so there's, there's always been a passion to, you know, I've, I have got that creative side and I do get quite passionate about um, storytelling. I mean, initially when I sort of got a bit of, bit of identity and a bit of exposure, I felt I had a bit of a duty or I still feel I've got a duty to really um, to share knowledge. You know, we should do, you know, storytelling and, um, and sharing knowledge is, is it's imperative we do that. Um, so for me, you know, it was like I was so focused on self-development because I've been mm. through, you know, the ring of myself and I wanted people to learn about, you know, how to avoid it and what to do if you get into that. So it's really important for me to really start to help people in that way. Now, for me, storytelling or, or, or writing books when it came to fiction, it wasn't something I happily accepted. It was a suggestion um, because I was so focused on my self-development that um, I really wanted that to be my direction. But when I started to understand and see the power of storytelling, it's been th that platform and that medium has been throughout time has been really, you know, it, that's the way we get messages, you know, throughout the ages. You know, it's such a such an amazing platform to be able to deliver a story, you know. And once I understood, understood that I could still have that underlying theme of getting a message across to people, uh, whether that be to highlight some issues going on in the world or whether it's be to highlight, you know, personal issues, issues that we all face on a daily basis. Once I understood that, then it really, it was, it, it became a natural thing for me to do. And um, once I got down into the writing, you know, and, 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 and really started getting into it, I really got into flow and got passionate about it. And, and, and my creative uh, juices started to flow big time, which, um, something I've uh, always possessed so it's, it's a real quality yeah. so let's talk about that transition because writing non-fiction writing self-development is very different to writing fiction yeah. and I think with your first book or one of your first books you co-wrote that is that right yeah I, I did I co I, both my first books I co-wrote and, and really it was when it's co-writing I mean um, you know, a lot of people call it ghostwriter. For me, it wasn't really a ghostwriter because all I, I call it an editor. I had an editor to basically format the books for me because although I can come out with a story and, mm. you know, about self-development, someone that's experienced an editor knows how to format it properly and put all the timelines in and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I did that on my first book, uh, which was Breakpoint and also on the second book. Um mm. So that's how those two ran. But, um, and, yeah. Yeah, so after you basically got that experience, did you feel that you could then go solo with the, you know, third and fourth book, third and fourth books? Listen, I still have an editor that, that helps me on that level because, again, when it comes to formatting and stuff like that, they're the yes. professionals. 
I come up with a story and everything else, and and that's that's the that, that's my quality. Uh, yeah. So I do still get some help. I'm not going to sort of deny that you know I'm not sure. I get some assistance on this because it's um, you know writing a book is no easy feat whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, you know, I and, and I think as time goes on, I'll probably you know I'll I'll, I'll need them less and less. But you know, I, I do seek professional advice when it comes to the formatting and make sure that everything's correct so that it reads properly. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do make their life easy as far as yeah. I can see. <laughs> well, you've got many tales that I'm sure that you can you can draw on. And as you say, as you write more, you'll probably need them less and less. Now, I just want to make it clear to listeners that even though you've mentioned that this is a sequel to Scar Tissue, this is a standalone story. You can read it completely without having read Scar Tissue. You can, of course, as I'm going to do now, go back and and read Scar Tissue because I want to know what happened to Alex um, in that story. But you can totally read this without having read the first one. Now, you did allude to the fact that there are similarities. You're drawing a lot from personal experience. So you've got this wealth wealth of stories to draw from because Alex Abbott, the protagonist, um, was a Royal Marine. He spent time in Northern Ireland and and Iraq. He was a member of the Special Boat Service, worked in counterterrorism, gone up against drug gangs, carried out counterinsurgency operations and worked with cracking child trafficking rings in Thailand, all of which... (laughs) all of which you've done and you've also written you mentioned that uh, Alex is alcohol dependent and you've written before and spoke before about your experience with alcohol and drugs there's so much that it's hard to separate Alex from Ollie and with that was that hard because you know because as you say the one thing that you know even though it is an action book and he's a gun-toting protagonist, it's a very human story about about a guy who is on a very personal journey. So was it hard to mine a lot of that? Um, I think with all of my books, regardless of whether they're fiction or not, you know, I am a totally open book and that's, you know, I... I just tell it how it is. And I think that's really important for me to do. It's You have to build the parallels because you just read now, you know, you just read out all the, uh, you know, Alex Abbott's sort of skill set and his experience. And, and that is obviously, you know, it's, that comes straight straight from um, uh, carbon copy from mine. Um, now, when you relay that to people, people find it hard to relate to you as a person. And you have to mm. build that parallel. Um, at the end of the day, I bleed and breathe like everyone else. And I make that apparent to everyone. You know, we're all capable of doing extra, you know, amazing things. It's just we, some people have to look a little bit deeper to find that strength and energy. Um, so really, for me, it was it's so important for me to really be an open book. You know, and that is with every every book I, that I do. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that won't sort of admit about their drinking problems. They won't admit about their emotional issues. They won't admit about the fact that, you know, they didn't felt feel content. You know, I didn't feel content when I was in the special forces. I didn't feel at home. I didn't feel it was for me, you know, and a lot of people won't admit that. They'll just go, oh, yeah, it's the best thing I've ever did because that sounds so alpha male. 
you know, mm. I'm quite, you know, I, I, I felt like the, 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 the square peg in the round hole when I was serving in the military, you know, I felt, and, and now looking back, I start to understand that it really, um, I don't feel it was my natural purpose to be in the military. But you have to learn these things through life, don't you? You have to have these experiences to, it's like a pinball, pinball, a pinball bouncing you from left to right. You know, sometimes you go all the way back, but you've got to keep moving forward. So, you know, for me, it's so important for me to put that across in all of my books that I am an absolutely open book. I'll talk about my issues, talk about my weaknesses in the same prowess and power as my strengths. You know, and that, that for me is so important to put that across. It makes it relatable to every reader, uh, as opposed to thinking that we're these bloody superheroes carved on another planet um, and not relatable whatsoever. So, mm. you know, that, that that was the important thing for me to get across. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's more empowering as opposed to, you know, to causing me sort of pain and grief. It's, it empowers me to do that. Yeah, right. So with this with this actual story, with the with the plot of this book, um, mm. tell us then how did you do you think of the plot first and know, well, this is the journey that Alex is gonna go on from beginning to end, or do you start writing and see what happens to Alex? No, I really, I mean, we come up, we come up with a framework of it. You know, I, I sit down and I talk to my editor about this is what I'd like to do. I talk about the story. I actually go into the story of my life. I tell it, you know, we go into absolutely every detail of my experience. And then we take that as the framework. We then use that framework. And then obviously, you know, it's a fiction book. There's massive, you know, in, <laughs> massive amounts of elaboration on, on the story. <laughs> so then we build, you know, once we build this sort of, built the chapters we are then start adding the bones to it um you know and then going into each separate chapter you know on its own merit um so really it's it's looking at the bigger picture initially and then we start building from there I mean when I when I look to do my like my that's the way I've always you know written books when I did my first book Breakpoint that was um really it was I'd, I'd done the chapters well before so it's about looking at the chapters, different chapters, and then start to build on each individual chapter. Um, yeah, and that's that's exactly the way all or nothing went. And thank God to lockdown because it really helped me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when did give us a bit of a timeline? If you can just give us a little bit of a kind of a potted um, key milestones of when the when you started writing, how long it took, you know, um, and the various steps in the process. Can you recall the dates? Well, just the yeah, approximate no, it's, dates. It's more about uh, October last year. Oh, sorry, I say last year, the year before that. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm. So October two thousand twenty is when we when we started. Well, when I got sort of uh, the go ahead to do the next book. So mm. that was really the start of. Um, the start of all or nothing so it was a six-month process from there to really get you know from start to finish um and like I say you know that was that was he- like periods of of, of you know where was sort of blocks of of time where I would sit and I would dedicate my time to to actually doing the um you know getting into my book so and like I said you know with lockdown and everything else that that really did help that process mm. because I do find it hard to to concentrate I've got loads of stuff going on it's really hard for me to actually dedicate time to stuff so you know sometimes you know I'll go away go into the hills hire a cottage um I did that at one point that I've done that with most of my books actually and and sit there you know for a week or so going out in the hills walking and stuff and then coming back and doing different you know different parts of my book so I find that you know I find that enjoyable as well I love just getting away out into nature 
uh, no distractions whatsoever uh, and really getting to grips with it. Okay, take me, go into the hills, take me through one of those days where you basically step through your routine for the day. You know, is there something that you need to do to get into the mindset of the story? Just take me through your day and what you want as your goal, your outcome for the day. Yeah, well, every day I start, I get up at five o'clock every morning. I do that as a natural, as a uh, process anyway. I didn't do that this morning. I'm still struggling after <laughs> after Christmas. Um, but usually my, my perfect day, and, and this is exactly how I, you know, when I go away um, into the hills, I'll get up at five o'clock. My first thing is to to basically get my, my mindset, what I want to achieve that day. So I actually structure my day, write that down. The first thing I'll do is exercise. And really, for me, exercise really starts to unleash um, the creativity. Yeah. You know, I, I really <clears throat> want to, <clears throat> excuse me, when I really want to start to think about uh, what I want to achieve that day. So really, I don't know, exercise for me, when I'm going for a run, et cetera, I think it's because there's no distractions. There's nothing else on my mind. It really allows, it, it allows the creativity to start flowing. So once I get back from the run and I, I don't, you know, it's, it's a relaxed affair. I don't, I'm not rushing around like a maniac. Um, I'll have my breakfast and then I'll start, I'll sit down. Um, for me, I can only sit down for about 45 minutes. I have to get up for 15 minutes or I'll make that part of a process because I do start to lose my concentration. So basically that's, I will then work for a couple of hours in the morning, lunch, um, a couple of hours in the afternoon. And that, that'll be my cutoff because I've done it before where you're trying to force stuff out and it just doesn't, you know, when it's not flowing, it's time to put the pen down mm. and, uh, you know, you need to have a proper cutoff time unless, you know, there, there were times where I've actually come up with an idea um, for, for parts of the book. You know, when I was doing the, there's a part in a book where there's an actual camp attack mm. um, uh, on a compound. And for me, that is where I really start to get into the detail. That is really, I, I really get lost in that because I think, showing or, or or actually going to that detail for a reader looking in they actually understand this is someone that knows what they're talking about you know when you mm-hmm. actually go into so much detail about it so that for me I can remember when I did that section of the book you know I, that was non-stop for me I worked into the nice and everything but once you start to get that sort of block and it's not flowing and that could be sometimes earlier in the day you know it wasn't the fact I would do two hours you know it wasn't a set routine sometimes in the afternoon it would get to the point where I just didn't have that sort of creative flow so you know that would be then just leave the house for a bit go out um i've got a dog a labrador as well um so go for a work with, walk with murphy uh, and then come back to it but um certainly i've found that trying to force things it, it just doesn't flow you know i've tried to do it before you write a load of stuff out and then you read it back and you think that's a load of rubbish yes and so um, on a practical yeah. level what do you use do you use word do you use google docs do you use pen and paper what do you actually use uh, to get it out there i have a flow chart really uh, yeah yeah i have flow chart so i can do the um i have a big uh, flow chart so i can just do the framework of stuff and when i'm like walking around like i've got an idea i'll whack it on the board you know if, it, if it's like a milestone of something it goes on the whiteboard you know i'll do the framework on that um then i'll i've, I've got my laptop up there and i've got a pad uh, and pen and paper so you know i've got you know and i'll always go out you know when i go out with the dog i'll always take i've got it here then now yeah. that, and that goes everywhere 
you know, so, uh, you know sometimes the last thing you want to do is come up with something and then you get lost because you come up with something else and something else so i'll make sure i write everything down but but yeah i think it's really important for me to have a flow chart you know when i'm working up at my office which is not far from here i've got a massive white you know, i've got massive whiteboards and i make you know I, i'm scribbling on those all the time so so you go everywhere with a notepad and a pen and you have this flow chart, magical flow chart. Does the whole story exist on the flow chart? No, no, no. It, it just depends just for that day. Oh, I I'll see. Only, yeah, I'll only use it for that day. So, you know, what I've come up with, so like, like when I do the, the overall framework, I'll put it onto the flow chart so it's there in front of me. And then when I go to pick on the bone, you know, add, the, add meat to the bones, then I'll go to my laptop. Yeah, right. Yeah, how so did you be a big <laughs> um, and then after you've written your first draft, what happens with you then? Is that when you, do, do you go through it again and see what you can revise or edit, or do you do you then start working really heavily with the editor to to see what works and what doesn't? Yeah, I mean the first draft goes for me, I, I still I mean, I'm meticulous about going through the detail of stuff, so I'll keep on reading and reading. I need to make sure that it, it's, you know, it sounds well. It, it, it sounds right and the details correct. But then it will go to the editor, so he's going through it at the same time as well. So he will then help with the formatting of it. Um, and then if there's any bits that need working, you know, extra bits need working on detail, then I'll I'll, I'll add bits as we go along. So once I've come up with the first draft, that then goes to the editor, who, who then does the formatting for me. How do you know when um, something's right? Like you've written a scene, and, ha- and do you have do you have a feeling like there, there's something missing, or do you ever, do you sometimes have the feeling that just really works? Yeah, for me, it's like because a lot of the stuff I taught, you know, I've obviously had the experience of situations. You know, I've been in those situations. I've I've, I've been there. I know what it feels like. So for me, when I'm writing a book, it it pulls that from me again. You know, I'm I'm actually there. I'm actually you know, when, when this scene's going on, I'm actually in that moment, you know, so mm. I'll know when it feels right. When it feels right, it feels right because I, re- I remember what it felt like. So for me, it's a very real feeling of what's happened in my past. Um, you know, and when that's happened, when that's feeling right, then for, for me, it's it's right. You know, it's it's it's, it's just a feeling that's from within. Mm. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to find stuff that, you know, a lot of the situations in that book I've been in, whether that's a drunken bar fight, whether that's, you know, a gunfight, whether, you know, whatever it is, I've been there. So it's really, you know, it's, it's quite easy for me to know whether it feels right or not. There's a scene um, where, well, Alex and some of his mates are basically attacking, maybe it's the same scene you're referring to, a compound, and it ends a chapter, this doesn't give anything away, listeners, it ends a chapter and it was almost a ballet-like experience or ballet-like series of movements. And it was, I don't know, it was very powerful to me. Are those scenes where you're effectively attacking an enemy in an unknown situation Mm. like that? Is ballet (laughs) an appropriate word? I'll tell you what, that is, that is, I, I took that so much for granted when I was working. Because you know, really, for me, I left, I joined at 18, joined the Royal Marines, then went into the Special Forces. So that was really the only sort of um, working experience I'd had. But I did take that for granted. And I still think about that a lot. You know, it was almost like telepathy. 
when you're working with such a highly tuned, you know, in, you know, ballet, sync, such a synchronized movement. You know, it's like you are working as a team. You're so highly trained. You're so on the same frequency. It's almost like you're talking without talking. You know, you're communicating without communicate, communicating. You know, I've, I've been in situations where you're thinking, Jesus, that area is not covered there or something's happening over there. You know, next thing, you, you're number two behind. It's got that sort. It's almost like you're talking without, you know, it's mm. and that, 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 synchronis- that synchronism is something I've never experienced since being in the Special Forces. And that was really, you know, and whether that was whether we're, you know, diving underwater, which I used to do a lot of, and that's why I was in the special boat service. You know, we used to approach from the water, um, you know, or being on land, you know, that sort of synchronized sort of telepathy, I'll never forget. And it's something that's never, I've never experienced since. Mm. This might seem like a weird question, but um, when you have, when you are involved in such intense situations, adrenaline filled, um, dangerous situations, mm. And then you become a normal civilian in normal life. <laughs> Obviously, that can be quite an adjustment. I'm curious to know whether writing these stories has been therapeutic in any way. Yeah, it has massively therapeutic. And that's what I mean. I wouldn't, I, th- I think a lot of it is, is it, you know, I find it so therapeutic. That's why I enjoy it so much. But, um, you know that that situation you're talking about there, Valerie, is 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 very much. I call it in my first book, "Peace in War," um, and you know we used to go away, um, you know, be in the war zone, and and then you come home, and you know you, your wife's or girlfriend, whoever, you know, she's complaining about the washing machine not working. She's complaining about someone's parked across the drive. Complaining about you know, and it's it's white noise. And, you know, I find we find that so hard to handle. You just want to get back to a war zone. You're like, you know, and that's why I, I named it Peace in War. Because mm. we feel more at peace. In war, it's simple. It's black and white. You know, so it was it was really hard to come back from a war zone and really sort of, it took me a long time to transition from um, the military to civilian life over 10 years. Um, but for me, you know, a lot in my life is massively changed. You know, I used to have this very, um uh very sort of um uh nasty characteristic about wanting to be at war every day you know that was just the way I was and it's you know I've, I've changed a lot since then you know I, I don't drink at all anymore um you know and and I find a lot you know things like writing getting out on the hills doing things I find that extremely therapeutic so for me it is extremely therapeutic to sit down and write and mm. for me seeing the you know it's very important as well when you're writing a book because it, it is for me and it's especially important when you're doing a lot of things in life is to, to make sure that you stand up and look back, you know, because and, and to see how far you've come, you know, and that's, yeah. that's for me when you're writing a book, you know, st- take a moment, look behind you and see what you've achieved. And, and that really does give you the inspiration to keep going forward because sometimes, you know, I'm not t- just talking about books here. I'm talking about, um, you know, things in life can seem extremely, the target can seem extremely overwhelming. And in those moments when it gets hard, you know, we call it, bring it down to one meter square. And that is you just focus on your immediate environment, forget about everything else. And that for me is very much, you know, that in a war zone, that is when chaos is raining, bring mm. it down to one meter square, work within that, forget, try and 
forget about the outside world as such. Um, and that for me is very much the same when I'm writing, you know, forget about everything else. It helps me to focus in the moment. And that for me is extremely therapeutic. In fact, there's a passage in the book, and this doesn't give anyway any spoilers either, um, that says Abbott and Miller were now through their entry point and engaging the enemy as they moved through the building, making their way to their objective in flow and working at ease, peace in war. And I think it was the perfect description. Now, you've mentioned you go off in the hills, you you know, so you can concentrate and, and work solely on the book, but obviously you're a busy guy. You've got businesses, you've got various programs that you're running, you've got books that you're writing. You come to us, you must, I assume you must come to Australia on a fairly regular basis to film SAS Australia. Do you ever need to, COVID aside, you know, lockdown aside, do you ever need to fit in writing these books in the midst of the busy life? Or do you have to take yourself away and find those gaps where you can take yourself away? And if you do write it during a busy life, how does it fit in? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the writing, I, I really do try and, you know, I, I need to block that time out. I mean, sometimes that's not always the case. You know, when it comes to doing the, um, you know, when I've got the final draft back from the editor, you know, sometimes that has to fit in wherever it fits in. And that's that's just the way it is. But Sure, but that's you know, different, isn't it? Because you're kind of yeah. editing and it's a bit Exactly, different. yeah. Mm. But I mean I mean for me, I, I really do need to I mean there's times where I've been in I've been in lockdown when I was in Australia, when I came to Australia. Mm. I mean we had to do quarantine for two weeks every time. You know, that for me is like was the perfect time. You know, we sat in a hotel room. Um and that for me was the perfect time to actually dedicate to where when when else do you get two weeks to dedicate time to to any project? Mm you know, without major distractions. So that for me was highly beneficial. The time difference was fantastic because no, you know, everyone in the UK was asleep when I was working. Um, so that for me was, you know, I would dedicate that time to to um, to working on my books and other stuff. Um, but really it's about really planning ahead because I, I can't sort of plan everything else and my book has to fit in. It can't be that way. You know, it's my books mm. have to be, you know, I have to dedicate that time. I have to block that time out for when, you know, I'm focused on my books and, and, and that has to, you know, that that is really important. But that's not to say that if something comes up, I think it's something that needs changing, then, you know, I'll I'll, um, I'll, I'll do that whenever. But um, Now, I know that you're, there's a third Alex Abbott book coming up and we've already established that there are so many parallels, almost mirror image <laughs> to your life. Yeah. Do you think you'll write a non-Alex Abbott novel? And do you think you will would be able to venture into a character that's completely the opposite or nothing to do with you? Um, well, let's just talk about Alex Abbott. Maybe the fact he does change, Valerie. Maybe the fact that he does go through that massive transition, he's a very different person and shows that, you know, um, you know, these a leopard can change his spots. Maybe that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know someone similar. That's a bit of deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> There's so, a hint about the, the about the third book. <laughs> yeah. No, no, the, the, well, yeah. I mean, listen, you know, if it's going to take a natural flow of, of myself, then, then that would be the case. But I think for a lot of it, you know, it's a lot. I have to really dig deep to find that character of Alex Abbott, who he is at the moment, you know, because 
you know, a lot of the sort of drinking and all the, the, the negative habits and all that kind of stuff. Um, I forgot the detail of that, you know, so it takes me a lot to really delve back into that. And when we talked about, it, do you find it easy to read? You know, sometimes that does open a couple of wounds to be quite honest, because it does take me back to a person that I really don't like. You know, and, and you know, I've, I've got no fear of going back there. I've, I've, I know I've, I've, I've advanced a lot further than that, and um, I would never go back to being the person I was. But, um, you know, anyway, going back to your question, I think it's quite easy for me to actually do someone that is not the Alex Abbott, Abbott type and is more mm. sort of more acceptable uh, to humanity. Um, you know, so, so I think it'd be a natural, uh, an easy thing for me to do. I think it's more of a natural flow than it is for me to sort of delve back into to the disruptiveness of and chaos of Alex Abbott. You've made reference a couple of times to the person you once were. Um, mm. What was the catalyst for change in your life? Yeah, it's, there, there was a there was a series of events you know I, I understood and I think really when people have got an issue a problem the first major step is the realization of it um that's a major step because you know otherwise you're just blindly going along you know numbing yourself thinking that there's no issue whatsoever but for me it was when I did start to think a lot about suicide now I always say that I don't know if I'd have done that I, I don't but the fact that you're thinking that way means that you're not in a good place and you need to sort that out so that really was the turning point for me when I, and I knew that I needed to make some changes. You know, people sort of wonder what is the indication of, of ill mental health. And really that for me is the fact that if you're feeling below par on a daily basis, then you need to do something about it. You know, because we should. I know the situation has been tough at the moment, but regardless, <clears throat> excuse me, regardless of the situation, we should always, we should be getting out of beds every day with the with the spring in our step thinking what is today going to bring what can i get from today and that you know it shouldn't be the case having you know being under a cloud as soon as you wake up every day you know so really mm. you know you don't need a checklist you know i think it's important to say this to a lot of people because even through what i've been through i mean you know without going into it i got attacked um by a chimpanzee at um when i was 10 years old nearly died in the circus um, and then I had major trauma as a kid. And then that went into the military and then all kinds of experiences. Um, and then even I was questioning why I should have mental health issues. And the thing is, we shouldn't have to question ourselves. There should be no criteria. The military don't own PTSD. The fact is, it's a self-analysis. And that's what I did. You know, I wasn't feeling good on a daily basis. I was starting to think about suicide. That for me was a turning point. And I realized that, that for me, drink, um, you know, was, was just not a good, it wasn't, there was no purpose in my life for it. It, it just wasn't, you know, I had no, had no place for it anymore. So I knew I, I, I identified those negative things that were, were affecting my life. And I, I then, you know, focused to, to take them out of my life and, and, and focus on something more positive. And that mm -hmm. was back in 2000, 2011 when I was still in Australia. And that was then the catalyst for me coming home back in 2014. Wow. Yeah. All right. Back on to writing. What do you find is the hardest or most challenging thing about writing? Um, 
dedicating the time to it you know it's like we talked this morning Valerie about you know crossing that bar about you know we've just gone through Christmas and it's like getting Mm -hmm. back to work but once you actually step into the short-term discomfort of that you know you start to feel the benefits quite quickly and that for me you know again you know I relate this so much to life is the fact you know we come up with this our mind creates so many limitations yeah you know and, and for me you know oh god I've got to, you know time pressure and everything else I've got to do the book and then you you, you your mind's looking for problems it's always yeah. looking for problems it's always looking for what could go wrong and if you allow that to if you allow to that to sort of um overwhelm you you know you, you look at the the process of what what's ahead with with shock and horror and won't want to really you know you won't, you won't want to sort of engage with it but really you've got to switch off the emotion and you've got to follow the process. So for me, you know, it's actually just getting into the, getting into the zone, just crossing that initial short-term discomfort. Mm. But once I'm into it, I know everything starts to flow. But, you know, if you listen to this half the time, you'll never get stuff done. Mm. Uh, and for me, in those moments, it's really about following process. It's like, regardless of what happens, I'm starting at that at nine o'clock Tuesday morning, and then I'm going to do three hours or whatever. But mm. for me, the hardest thing about writing a book is um, is actually getting started, getting you know really dedicating myself to that because it's easy to say it's easy to push that stuff aside. Because oh, I've got six months, I've got eight months. You know, it's mm. easy to say oh, I'll do that next week. But um, you've just got to really just throw yourself into it. Um, and then it's also you know the second to that is really the distractions around that. You know, because I have so much going on. You know. I've, I do a lot of public speaking work, TV work. I run a business. You know, it's 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 really hard to to not allow those distractions to to contaminate my focus. So, with all of that going on, when is the third Alex Abbott book coming out? Have you written it? No, I haven't. I <laughs> I've got to cross that bar and get into it. So, I've, I've got the framework. I've already got that established, but, um, you know, now is the time that I've, exactly what I've just talked about with you, Valerie, now <laughs> is the time that I've got to start dedicating, you know, um, time to do that. So so tell looking- me about that framework. Tell me about that framework because I want to know, do you know exactly what's going to happen until yeah. the end? And have you mapped uh, that out in a flow chart <laughs> or I've, something I've of that nature? Out. I don't, listen, I don't know what I haven't I haven't got the end, I'll tell you that much. I know okay. exactly I think I've got to about um three quarters of the book. But I haven't got to the end. I don't know what the end looks like. Um can't you just know. draw on one of your stories? <laughs> <laughs> I can, but you know, it might not be the it might not be the last one. So, you know, I've also got to leave that open. Mm. Um I've definitely got the framework. I know exactly where it's going. You know, for me, it's important to to really start to highlight uh, the problem, which is a global issue about um, uh, you know the, uh, the the human trafficking. So yeah. I am delving deep into that world um, and really start to highlight some of the problems that um, are going on that for some reason aren't reported. Um, so for me, it's important to do that. So you know, I'm excited about the next phase of this. Mm. Um, you know, the next book. Um, because it really will start to detail and highlight stuff that is going on. You know, there is a, a lot of truth in the books that I write. You know, it's not all, mm. it's not all, you know, sort of made up. You know, I want to highlight issues that are going on that really, for some reason, just aren't highlighted in the mainstream media. Mm. 
Mm. Now, I want to talk, touch on that a little bit more, but first I want to tell listeners that there are there are elements of this story that um, uh, refer to child trafficking, but I mm. also want to highlight to listeners that when you read the book, they are not in graphic detail that it's going to, you know, um, uh, be extraordinarily disturbing. Um so I just want to mention that 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 it's yeah. you're not going to finish the book and be depressed. Well, well, most people aren't going to be. But let's talk. Um, you're go, you you want to highlight human trafficking in your next book. So obviously you have had experience with that. That must be for child trafficking and adult trafficking. Um, it must be an incredibly. Uh, I don't even know what the words are, depressing, raw, visceral um, experience to actually see it in action. What Mm. do you do to cope with that when you're seeing it in real life in front of your eyes? Um, Well, I mean, the the only things I can do at the moment, I mean, when when my work in Thailand, it came to an abrupt end because of of a political situation, I said back then, and I knew back then, you know, that was devastating for me because I was, I'd actually found something I felt so humbled to be a part of. You know, it was the first time in my life, you know, I, I was in the military, thought that this would be the be all and end all, you know, it's, it's my dream, it's everything, and it, it didn't fit for me. Mm. But when I actually went to do that work in Thailand, suddenly it clicked and I realised the power of helping other people. Mm. Um and, that, you know, I wasn't being paid for that. I was, I was self-funding it, um, you know, but the, the reward, the return on investment was just phenomenal. I said back then that my work wasn't finished, you know, then I still a business to do. Um, so for me, highlight, you know, although it is quite traumatising, you know, the fact that this is going on, and really, to be honest, looking back, the knowledge I have now is I didn't have a clue about what was going on when I was actually involved with anti-human trafficking. Um, so the fact that I can raise awareness for it is, is very important for me. That that really does make me um, feel fulfilled. You know, I am still, you know, I am involved in the moment. I'm in talks at the moment, working with various organisations. And using my exposure, like I said to you, Valerie, I feel I've got a duty. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I struggle with the whole celebrity thing, to be quite honest, but, for me, um, I think that, you know, my exposure has to be used for, for good purpose and mm. I have a duty to highlight. So so that for me is it's like that is that is, I, I get a lot of strength from actually highlighting the issue. And like you said, you know, the book isn't about depressing people. It's just about highlighting, um, you know, the issues that are going on, going on in the world. It's not in graphic detail whatsoever. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the books are a feel good, as you know, Valet, that you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's good, you know, it, it's, it leaves you with a smile, yes. um, as, a, as opposed to anything else. So, but yeah, I mean, certainly for me, you know, highlighting the issue is, is, is one thing I think that's very important to me and, um, yeah, helps me massively. Mm. Well, yes, the book is um, uh, it, it, it's it's a page turner. <laughs> it's edge of your seat, so it's great fun. Um, it's a great read. We always ask our authors that we chat to to leave us with their top three tips in writing 
um, a novel. But I'd like to ask you your top three tips in writing something that is this full of action and adventure. Yeah, for me, I mean, it's really important to really, you know, set your goals out. You know, I'm, I'm massive on on writing down goals and things you want to achieve. Um, you know, first of all, you know, the, sometimes, like I mentioned in the interview, writing a book can be overwhelming. The thought of actually, you know, especially if it's your first novel, mm. writing a book, it can be extreme. And it was for me, it was extremely overwhelming. That is the sort of target to write the book. That is the main goal. But then you have to break the goal down and just do it in bite-sized chunks, you know, and, and, and that really then makes it become achievable. Um, and to, to really understand that, you know, getting to those milestones, uh, really stand up and look how far you've come, mm. you know, because like I said before, when the pressure's on, you know, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, this isn't for me, it's not going well, and it's easy to put down the pen and just walk away and get distracted. You need momentum to keep on going. It, you know, a book needs energy, it needs momentum, and you can't allow those setbacks to, to, to stop you and your tracks. For me, again, uh, uh, another. I know I've sort of done about ten points here, Valerie. But no, that's a good one. That, uh, set your goal and break it into chunks for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's really important to do. Um, the one for me, you know, if you can, I know it's harder for younger writers, but if you can pull from any kind of experience in your life, you know, so you can not, you know, you can you can feel the book, you can feel what you're writing, as opposed to think what you're writing. I think that adds so much to a book, you know, when it, because like I said before, then someone else reading the book, understand, you know, you, I can tell when I, when I read a book about the military and it's not been written by someone from the military or watch a film, for instance, you can tell someone's not, you know, you can just see through it straight away. So I think it's really important that if you can draw from any experience and there's so much, you know, we have so much life experience, you know, that emotion, add that emotion to, to the story. That's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, and then secondly, just, um, you know, don't be too proud to seek help. Mm. You know, there's a lot of professional people out there. And, and certainly I don't, I don't believe that I am a professional author by any strength of the imagination. I need help and I'm not scared to, to, to ask for that. So I think it's really important, you know, um, to, to get some guidance, get some help. And there's loads of resources and things on the Internet, you know, but um, speak to other people that have written books. Um, but yeah, mm. really important to to find someone, find find a mentor um, throughout the process. Love it. So set goals. Number one, number two, draw from your own experience where you can, and number three, don't be afraid to seek help. Congratulations, Ollie Ollerton, on all or nothing. Um, I have no doubt it's going to go gangbusters, and looking forward to the next one. Thank you, and thanks for having me on the show, Valerie. It's been a, a real pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to bridge the gap between being a beginner writer and a novelist? Our course, Writing Workout, is like a writing gym where you'll strengthen your foundation techniques. You'll be given exercises to stretch your writing muscles, receive regular feedback from an experienced writing coach, and you'll make connections with like-minded writers. You'll emerge from this course with improved writing techniques, greater confidence in your storytelling and a much deeper understanding of your own narrative voice. Find out more at writercentercomau slash workout.
I really enjoyed my chat with Ollie Ollerton and I hope you found it interesting too. Anyway, what are you up to in the coming week? I'm taking a break from my garden because I got bitten by ants. So I'm avoiding the garden until I get some proper gloves and proper shoes and might even invest in some overalls because, oh yeah, the other ridiculously silly thing that I did was that I ripped out what I thought was a whole heap of weeds and I was thinking of all of the analogies about weeding your garden, making sure that you tend to your garden. Anyway, perhaps I should have Googled first because turns out I did not rip out a whole heap of weeds. I ripped out a whole heap of strawberries. I know, ridiculous. I almost cry at the thought of it. Anyway, that's okay. I'm taking a break from the garden. Um, and that gives me more time to read and write. I usually do freelance feature writing, as many of you know, but I'm on a bit of a summer break uh, till about February, so I've been journaling instead. Now, I do a combination of longhand in notebooks, journals, but sometimes I also use Penzu. Now, that's Penzu, P-E-N-Z-U.com. And no, it's not sponsored. I actually use it. I love it because when you journal you're often writing about your innermost thoughts and feelings. And with Penzu, there are digital locks that require you to use passwords to gain access to the app, but then also passwords again to actual journals. And you can have multiple journals if you want. I, I don't. Um, so with these digital locks, you can be, you know, you can be sure that it's safe from prying eyes just in case that's a concern for you. Anyway, we've come to the end of this week's episode. Feel free to connect with me on social media. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Um, you'll also find me on Facebook, so feel free to connect with me there as well. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>